This podcast originally aired in 2013. This is the Nature Pastcast, each month raiding Nature's archive and looking at key moments in science. In this show, the beginnings of some blockbusters in the 1970s. Nature, August the 7th, 1975. From the late 19th century, scientists began to wonder whether antibodies could be the next magic bullet in medicine. I had no idea that it was going to have the impact it had now. I mean, I don't think we, at that point, I think anyone had realised the, the importance. Volume 256, Continuous Cultures of Fused Cells, Secreting Antibody of Predefined Specificity. Today, monoclonal antibodies are a very important part of the biotechnology industry, yet they're very little known. It's very interesting, if you mention to people the drug Herceptin, which is used for breast cancer, most people will have heard of that drug, but they will not understand that it's actually based on a monoclonal antibody. I'm Lara Marks. I'm a historian of medicine based at King's College London. I'm working on a book on the history of monoclonal antibodies and their transformation of healthcare since the 1970s. The reason monoclonal antibodies are so useful is because they, they're very particular about which cells they target and then attach to, and that means that they can be used very specifically. The manufacture of predefined, specific antibodies by means of permanent tissue culture cell lines is of general interest. G. Curler and C. Milstein, MRC, Laboratory of Molecular Biology, Hills Road, Cambridge. Cesar Milstein was the son of Jewish-Ukrainian immigrants in Argentina. He trained in chemistry and fled Argentina in the early 1960s after the political turmoil brought about by the military coup. He took up a position at the Laboratory of Molecular Biology in Cambridge in 1963 What I find fascinating is that everyone knows about Crick and Watson, but don't know about Milstein, and yet they were based in the same laboratory, although working a decade apart. Once Milstein arrived at the Laboratory of Molecular Biology, he began investigating the mechanism behind antibody diversity. Like many other scientists at the time, he was puzzled about why it was that such an apparently almost identical group of proteins, the antibodies, could specifically target simultaneously any one of a multiple of foreign invaders like bacteria, viruses or pollen. Based on the theory that antibody diversity stemmed from a mutation in the DNA of antibodies, Milstein conducted experiments to validate that idea And it was out of those experiments that monoclonal antibodies was born. So my name is Greg Winter. I'm a scientist working at the MRC Laboratory of Molecular Biology. Uh, But now most of my time is spent as Master of Trinity College, Cambridge. My role in the story has been as a group leader working with Milstein as the head of division and picking up part of the antibody story that he started. Well, I started off at the MRC Laboratory 
Laboratory of Molecular Biology in 1973 as a PhD student. And so the first time I remember really meeting Milstein was when I was working, walking down the corridor and I saw what looked to me like my supervisor, Hartley, involved in some major argument with this chap who later turned out to be Cesar Milstein, a small chap. They'd both got pipes and they would have these long periods where um, one of them would make a, po- a point and the other one, in struggling for an answer, would decide his pipe needed attention, would puff it, bang it, ream it out, relight it, suck on it, and then continue the argument. Looking through Milstein's papers, you get a very strong sense of a man who wanted to do the right thing for the world, who was very keen to improve the world, but also was fascinated by basic science. And he really married the ability of pursuing basic science and then finding its application for practical uses. George Curler arrived at the Laboratory of Molecular Biology in April 1974 and thereafter partnered with Milstein. The creation of monoclonal antibodies involves several steps. In the first instance, an animal has to be immunised against a particular foreign substance or what is known as an antigen. The animal's antibodies are then harvested from its spleen for fusion with a myeloma cancer cell to create what is known as a hybrid cell or hybridoma, and it is that hybridoma that secretes the monoclonal antibodies. We describe here the derivation of a number of tissue culture cell lines which secrete anti-sheep red blood cell antibodies. The cell lines are made by fusion of a mouse myeloma and mouse spleen cells from an immunized donor. The tests not only showed the hybrid cells were capable of secreting antibodies, but they produced large amounts. The above results show that cell fusion techniques are a powerful tool to produce specific antibody directed against a predetermined antigen. In May 1975, they submitted a paper to Nature. They pointed out that their technique could have valuable medical and industrial uses. Such cells can be grown in vitro in massive cultures to provide specific antibody. Such cultures could be valuable for medical and industrial use. Because nowadays it seems entirely prophetic, but at that stage... You know, I think everyone was clear that quite a lot more work needed to be done. When they submitted it, the Nature's editors missed the ramifications and asked for the article to be shortened. Shortly after submitting their article, Milstein and Kohler suddenly had a crisis because they could not replicate their technique. The crisis was so bad that Milstein considered withdrawing their article from Nature. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I think what Milstein told me when they first started it um, it worked, um, yeah, they got it to work, um, at least at some point they got it to work, and they wrote the paper up and they got it into nature, and then to their horror, they couldn't get it to work again for a period of time. And it was an awful lot of fiddling around that they had to do. possibilities that monoclonal antibodies provided for medical and industrial uses was not only missed by nature's editors. The National Research Corporation, which was responsible for patenting research funded by British councils, 
also did not see its commercial value. I haven't actually quite worked out what happened, but they never responded to Cesar. Someone forgot to do it. I mean, this would, these were very different days. Cesar actually didn't mind too much, um, but, but he had actually done his bit. And what they said is, look, we don't think it's worth filing uh, because the antibodies you've described were antibodies against sheep red blood cells, which aren't really useful for anything. Um, when you've got a useful antibody, tell us and we'll um, file a patent on that. While the NRDC did not see any reason to pursue a patent, scientists at an American institution known as the Worcester Institute, led by Hilary Koprowski, were quick to move on patenting monoclonal antibodies. Their patenting of the technique was to cause huge furore because, in fact, their work was based on myeloma cell lines that had been sent to Koprowski by Milstein. Using suitable detection procedures, it should be possible to isolate tissue culture cell lines, making different classes of antibody. The patents that Koprowski and his colleagues took out were for monoclonal antibodies against viral antigens and cancer. The NRDC's decision not to patent Milstein and Kohler's technique was to lead to a huge political storm in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Mr President... My lords, ladies and gentlemen. At the forefront of the debate was Margaret Thatcher, who was scandalised that such a technique that had been developed in Britain had been patented in America and was being commercialised there. The furore over the issue was partly fuelled by the fact that manufacturing was in decline in Britain. In the 1940s, when I took a science degree, the new emerging industries were plastics, man-made fibres and television. Later, it will be satellites, computers and telecommunications. Now, it's biotechnology and information technology. And today, our universities and science parks are identifying the needs of tomorrow. So, there are new industries and new jobs in the pipeline. Because it is the spirit of enterprise that provides jobs, it is being prepared to venture and build a business. Milstein quickly realised that for monoclonal antibodies to have an impact, he would need to collaborate with others to demonstrate their utility. Milstein began to get numerous requests for different cell lines to make monoclonal antibodies from his laboratory, and he was becoming so inundated with the requests he did not know quite what to do. By chance, in February 1977, Milstein answered the knock on the door of a salesman called David Murray, who was founder of Serolab. Serolab, monoclonal antibodies derived from hybrid myelomas. A company he had founded in the early 1970s to sell anti-serum as a laboratory agent to scientists in the research community. Remember that monoclonal means the same antibody against the same determinant every time. David Murray was an interesting entrepreneur. He had started life as a general manager for his father's cabaret club in Soho. Murray was already aware of Milstein's work, having read his paper in Nature. 
and was particularly interested in monoclonal antibodies because he saw it as a means of standardising the antiserum products he was selling through his company. Murray quickly suggested that he form a collaboration with Milstein to distribute Milstein's cells. In fact, it was the collaboration between David Murray from Sierra Lab and Milstein that laid the basis for the very first commercialisation of monoclonal antibodies. One of the first monoclonal antibodies developed as a drug was orthoclone, which was approved in 1986 for the prevention of kidney transplant rejection. After the approval of orthoclone, it would take a number of years, however, for other monoclonal antibody drugs to hit the market. One of the problems was that all the monoclonal antibodies at this point were mouse or murine monoclonal antibodies and so could cause immunoreactions in patients. It took me more than a year with some help, but we managed to create this humanised antibody. At the same time, um, I was looking out for therapeutic possibilities because I thought well if this looks to me like these things as far as I can tell um, as close to human as we're going to be able to get. Nature 24th March 1988 reshaping human antibodies for therapy. Cesar had been working with a young medic um, a year or two earlier on um, uh, who'd been interested in making an antibody against T and B cells and this chap was Herman Waldman and he made an antibody called Campath antibody. And he was interested in using this as a blockbuster. So we both went and talked to each other. And uh, we collaborated then on humanising the antibody that he had the right antibody. And that was the humanised Campath antibody, otherwise known as Lemtuzumab. I look back, I think I just don't know how we did it. The Lancet, 17th December 1988. A genetically reshaped human monoclonal antibody... Campath H1 was used to treat two patients with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. I, I got introduced to the patient, so they, I was allowed to go and see her, and I went and had a chat, and she was a lovely old lady. Well, she said, you must be very pleased about this. Well, I am, I said, but I'm also extremely worried. He said, why are you worried? I said, well, because I don't know whether it's going to, I hope it's going to continue. You know, I have no idea. You know, none of us have any idea whether it's going to be any, whether it's going to be a short-term remission or, or, or longer or... Uh, um, I haven't a clue. He said, oh, it doesn't matter, dear. She said, if it buys me a few months, that'll be fine. My husband is, um, is dying, and I, I want to be with him when he dies. I, I, I choked. With efforts to re-engineer monoclonal antibodies, scientists now had to hand, by the early 1990s, a much safer and effective monoclonal antibody for therapeutics. Between 1997 and 2011, the Food and Drugs Administration approved between one and four new monoclonal antibodies per year. Amongst those antibodies, 
were rituxan or rituximab, which was developed for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And today, it is the best-selling biological cancer drug in the world. In 1998, Herceptin was approved for breast cancer, which today, again, is another blockbuster drug. Most people will have heard of that drug, but they will not understand that it's actually based on a monoclonal antibody. Moreover, most people will not understand that monoclonals are not just being used for drugs, which are becoming blockbusters, but are also a vital component of our, of our diagnostics today. For example, monoclonal antibodies exist in home testing kits for pregnancy, ovulation, menopause. And equally, at a global level, governments are using monoclonal antibodies in diagnostics for assessing whether we're having pandemic flu. They're also used, for example, in the diagnosis of AIDS and in other infectious diseases. transformed my what I thought about science. I thought to myself, well, I need to make sure that the work that I do in the future isn't necessarily directed to immediate practical or medical gain, but it, I should be mindful of it. As a historian, you're meant to be cynical and you're meant to say, you know, it's all not a revolution overnight, but it was revolutionary, you know? It did transform things. Not immediately, but it did happen. When you look at monoclonals, it's not hype, it really has transformed things, but in a very quiet way. Nature, Volume 256, August the 7th, 1975. Cost 45 pence. This Nature Pastcast was produced by me, Kerry Smith, with contributions from historian Lara Marks and scientist Greg Winter. Next month, in episode six of this 12-part series, scientists in the 1960s begin to feel the Earth move.